Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Culture Wars. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I want to discuss something that's been on everybody's mind uh, for the last couple of weeks, or at least it it does certainly seem that way. And that's what's been happening uh, in Alabama lately with their new pro-life law that got passed. And it's not just Americans uh, and American pro-lifers who have been talking about what's going on in Alabama. It's it's right around the world. Uh, in, in Canada, the newspapers and the editorial pages are filled with discussions about the pro-life law in Alabama and what that means for Canada. The uh, law has also been reported on extensively in the British press, the Australian press, and right around the world. There seems to be something about this pro-life bill that has struck struck a chord where previous bills have not. And and just to remind everybody, there has been a lot of previous pieces of legislation uh, during the eight-year presidency of Barack Obama, Barack Obama being the most pro-abortion president ever to sit in the Oval Office. Over 400 pro-life laws were passed on the state level. So it's not as if uh, laws like this haven't passed before. It's just they haven't gotten the same amount of attention as this Alabama law. And maybe it's because the fact that the whole world is talking about it, but it feels like there's something different this time. It feels like like a catalyst uh, of some sort. It feels like a, a ground-level tectonic shift, like something is really happening, like, like the abortion debate is somehow fundamentally shifting, even though, as I said, we're looking at a piece of legislation that's not particularly dissimilar to uh, pieces of legislation that have passed on the state level before. And most of the arguments being put forward are the same arguments that the pro-life movement has been putting forward for decades and the response arguments are the same arguments abortion activists have been putting forward uh, for decades. So I actually thought that maybe the reason it felt so different to me is because I've only been in the pro-life movement for around 10 years. And so I actually messaged a few of my pro-life friends uh, from the United States, especially uh, pro-life activists who have been doing uh, work on the ground since, you know, the early 80s. So this is before I was born. Uh, to see if if my view was simply coming from the fact that I hadn't experienced enough by virtue of having been in the pro-life movement a, a few fewer decades uh, than they have. But they actually confirmed to me that they, they too feel that something is, is shifting, that the abortion debate is changing in some sort of uh, fundamental way on the ground. But before I get into the specifics of what the Alabama abortion law is all about, I really want to take a look uh, at where this all started because, you know, things seem to happen faster these days than, than than most days. And I think partially that's because of the way the Trump administration has functioned. You know, scandals that would have sunk any other president uh, or any other politician have kind of come and gone in a week and three, four days later or a week later, Trump is facing some new sort of scandal or sent out some new tweet that stuns everybody oh so briefly and then, and because we go through so many political lifetimes you know in 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 the length of a month i think that things just seem to fly by faster and that each week feels like a, a political eternity in some ways and so i just want to go back to the beginning even of this year uh because while as i mentioned the abortion debate has been going on and has been raging hard for for a couple of decades And particularly in the last 10 years, the American pro-life movement has seen enormous gains. As I mentioned, hundreds of pro-life laws were passed during the Obama administration, which has driven the abortion rate down to the lowest that it's been since Roe versus Wade. There's been real gains, hundreds of thousands of lives saved. Uh, But this year alone, the abortion debate seems to have have heated up uh, in in a way that, that makes this year makes 2019 distinctive even from other years. I think that uh, this year the abortion debate kind of exploded in a way that we haven't seen since 2015 uh, when David DeLayden and the Center for Medical Progress broke the news that Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers were selling baby body parts. So I think if I had to put if I had to put my finger on it, uh, this year's abortion debate really kicked off with what happened in Virginia. 
Yeah. And this didn't happen that long ago, although it may seem to you that this happened forever ago. Uh, It happened actually in late January when Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, was doing a radio interview. And during this radio interview, uh, he was asked about a, a bill that was proposed by Democratic Delegate uh, Kathy Tran. And this bill would have expanded abortion rights in Virginia during the last three months of pregnancy. So as you can imagine, of course, this is talking about an extraordinarily gruesome late-term abortion procedure. And the video of Kathy Tran discussing her bill with Republican legislators ended up going viral because during the hearing under sustained questioning from one Republican legislator, Uh, Kathy Tran actually admitted that the bill that she was proposing would permit a mother to obtain an abortion even during labor. And when she admitted that, it sort of really highlighted to many people who are used to ignoring the abortion debate that when we're talking about late-term abortion, we are talking about a truly hideous procedure. We are talking about a baby that has long past viability, a baby that is kicking and sucking its thumb, a baby that will feel absolutely horrifying pain, a baby that will have to be dismembered piece by piece and have its skull crushed. What Kathy Tran's, you know, sort of very lackadaisical admission uh, to the questions coming from the Republican legislators did was it awoke people to the fact that abortion is not just just a healthcare procedure, but that we're talking about a real baby. And I think especially using the term labor in that question highlighted what was going on quite brilliantly. And so Ralph Northam, who uh, is a very hardcore pro-abortion Democrat, was uh, asked about his support for this bill on a radio show. And here's what he said. I'll just read his comments exactly um, so you can kind of get a sense of what he said. When we talk about third trimester abortions, these are done with the consent of obviously the mother, with the consent of the physician, more than one physician, by the way, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities. There may be a fetus that's non-viable. If a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly what would happen. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. The infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired, and then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. Now, these comments triggered an even broader wave of outrage than Kathy Tran's original comments about it being legal to abort a baby while the mother was in labor with that baby, because essentially... It was not only Ralph Northam confirming that this was the case, but Ralph Northam was taking it a step further and saying, look, during some abortion procedures, a baby will be born alive. Uh, That fetus may be non-viable, especially if that baby has um, a a condition that will ensure it dies shortly after birth. Uh, But the baby will only be resuscitated and cared for if the mother requests that. And it wasn't just the fact that he admitted this, which I think stunned people, because the pro life movement has known about this for a very long time, that babies are born alive and left to die. Uh, I've, I've spoken with, with staff from hospitals who have told me about babies being left in the medical waste room to die. I had a nurse tell me once that a baby was born alive after an abortion and the doctor quickly threw the baby into the garbage can. And even three decades later, she could still remember the horrible sound of the baby sort of rustling weakly among the papers in the waste basket before it died and so pro-lifers have known about this and been have been talking about this for a long time but one you have ralph northam a democrat admitting what happened and what happens and number two it was really his tone of voice him just sort of casually saying look here's what will happen as if you know what he's about to say next is a defense of a baby being born alive and left to die after an abortion. And so I think his sort of calm, measured response, which he obviously intended uh, as a method of sort of pulling the air out of the debate, of defusing things somewhat, uh, had the opposite of his intended effect. It really sort of highlighted the banality of evil that accompanies the abortion debate that we can so casually and so coolly talking about the destruction 
of a of a human baby as if this is just simply no big deal. It's the same reason one of the first videos released by David Delyden of the Center for Medical Progress horrified people so much when when you see that abortion activist, you know, eating salad and sipping wine while she talks about um, the abortions being done on the babies, but very carefully you would crush above and crush below the organs that you wanted to sell, she said. And it wasn't just the discussion of crushing the baby that stunned people so much. It was the fact that she was discussing crushing a baby while sipping on wine and munching on her salad as if this was just all in a day's work for her, which, of course, it was. And so Ralph Northam ended up accomplishing the same thing uh, when he sort of casually chatted about what is done when a baby is born alive during an abortion procedure. He didn't even bother to respond to the outrage at Kathy Tran's comments by saying, look, you know, an abortion rarely happens if the mother's actually in labor. No, he said, look, here's what will happen when that does happen. And I know exactly what happens. And so this massive wave of outrage triggered a whole bunch of political action on the side of the Republicans. And this is a very, very interesting because Ralph Northam's actions were sort of followed up by a secondary push for late-term abortion. And what you see here is, is the Democrats are really overreaching. Uh, because the Trump administration has been, ironically, and to the shock of many of us, certainly to my shock, one of the most pro-life administrations in recent American history, uh, because they have done so much in regard to stalking the judiciaries with pro-life judges, uh, they've appointed, hopefully, hopefully, we don't know for sure, but hopefully two uh, pro-life Supreme Court justices um, to that court, which is, of course, essential in overturning Roe v. Wade. And because the Trump administration, frankly, seems to take every opportunity uh, not only to defend the pro-life position, uh, but to enact pro-life policies, even at the United Nations level, I interviewed Austin Roos of CFAM on my other podcast, The Van Maren Show, over at LifeSiteNews.com. And he tells me in that interview that the things the Trump administration is doing on the international level to keep pro-abortion language out of international agreements is just stunning and unprecedented. And so in response to this... The Democrats have been getting really desperate in response to the fact uh, that they see Brett Kavanaugh as a threat to Roe v. Wade, as well as Neil Gorsuch, who, who replaced uh, Justice Antonin Scalia. And in response to this wave of pro-life legislation that's being passed right across the United States, they are responding by doing what they can to double down on their position. And their position has quite dramatically shifted. Uh, some of you might remember that the Democratic position on abortion used to be the sort of safe, legal, and rare formulization that was promoted by Hillary Clinton in the 1990s. And now even Hillary Clinton has long abandoned the idea that abortion is safe, legal, and rare, because if you say that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, you also give a nod to the idea that abortion is not like other healthcare procedures. It's not like getting your teeth cleaned, as abortion activist Amanda Marcotte has literally described it. And so now they've sort of changed tack, and it's any abortion in any circumstances, no matter what. It's abortion right up until the moment of birth. And as we saw with Ralph Northam's comments, there are some babies that are born alive after an abortion, and those unfortunate children just need to be ignored. And again, this is not particularly new. Uh, President Barack Obama voted against the Born Alive Infants Act when he had the opportunity to several times. So this abortion extremism has been a long time developing in the Democratic Party, but their their desperation at the pro-life moves of the Trump administration uh, seems to have led them to overplay their hand and suddenly forge forward into territory uh, where the American public strongly, strongly disagrees with them. And so following Ralph Northam's comments in Virginia, you have New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who responded to pro-life laws and the Trump administration's pro-life actions by passing an extreme bill that essentially permits abortion up until birth. And then after he did that, that was bad enough. So there was widespread outrage about the fact that 
New York, which has one of the highest abortion rates in the country, I've, I've interviewed people who run crisis pregnancy centers in Manhattan, and they serviced people who have had over 20 abortions. New York City is, is, is quite frankly, the ground zero uh, for abortion. You've got a better chance of ending up in a dumpster than in a bassinet if you're a fetus in New York City. And so already New York is, is famed for its abortion extremism. And here was Governor Andrew Cuomo trying to expand the abortion regime even further uh, to take it essentially right up until birth. For those of you who recognize uh, his name, Cuomo, he is the brother of CNN host Chris Cuomo, who has interviewed his brother on things before. Just to give you a a sort of a side note there about the connection between the pro-abortion politicians and the news media. And so after he passes this bill, which the American public is not on side with the vast majority of the American public is staunchly opposed to late-term abortion. He then decides to celebrate this new abortion bill by lighting up the New York City landmarks in pink. And these pictures were just awful to look at. I was actually traveling in, in Europe at the time when the pictures started to flood my Twitter feed, and I remember that these pictures actually struck me in a way that things usually don't. I I work full-time in the pro-life movement. I've seen more abortion videos than than I can count. I've actually held uh, the the victims of abortion in my hands. I know what it feels like to hold a dead baby. So I'm I'm pretty desensitized in some ways um, to to imagery of aborted babies. It only strikes me uh, from from time to time because I've I've seen so much of it, and I can sort of um, compartmentalize and look past it so that I don't you know break down in tears every time I see you know the face of a baby that's been cut away from the baby's body as I did recently. But these pictures of of these landmarks lit up in pink, and of course when you when you think of pink in relation to babies. You right away think pink or blue, right? Girl or boy. But the fact that these these landmarks were lit up to celebrate the new legal right to dismember and crush a preborn child that's viable, um, that's that like long, long past the time when it could survive outside the womb. There's not a single good reason to have an abortion at this stage other than you want the baby to be dead before it comes out. Um if people say, well, we need these laws because what if the baby has a disability? And that's exactly it. The baby at this stage could survive outside the womb, but because you don't want a disabled baby, you essentially take advantage of its location by murdering it before the baby uh, arrives into the world. Um, it's, it's, essentially, it's essentially killing children for the crime of inconvenience. And watching uh, these landmarks lit up in pink was, was, just, was just really disturbing on, on a level that I, I totally did not expect it to be. And so this was the, the second example just this year, just in 2019, of the Democrats wildly overplaying their hand on the abortion debate on the abortion issue within an eight-week time span. And in both of these instances, or I should say all three, the Kathy Tran admission uh, that abortion could be done while the woman was in labor, according to her law, uh, Governor Ralph Northam's comments defending Kathy Tran, but then further admitting uh, that babies who are born alive after abortions could be left to die uh, by the attending physician. And then third, uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo expanding the right to abortion virtually up until the moment of birth and then lighting up New York City's landmarks to celebrate this. Uh, Those three things were so repulsive to Americans that initial polling, and I haven't seen enough data sets to know whether this is a trend or whether this was just a sort of a knee-jerk reaction to what was happening, but initial polling indicated that these actions had actually backfired with their base and resulted in a pretty decent shift uh, of pro-choice Americans towards the pro-life position, and they weren't just being drawn towards the pro-life position; uh, they were being they were being repulsed by the pro-abortion position. And so, what we see coming into 2019 is that the Democrats are showing the American people what their true position is, and they are explicitly stating and highlighting their position in terms that make it possible for people to pretend we're not talking about babies being killed. 
And so in response to this, um, the Republican Senator Ben Sass, who I think is, is one of the most brilliant senators in that House of Congress, he, he wrote the book The Vanishing American Adult, which I reviewed at thebridgehead.ca, and he wrote another book uh, called Them, uh, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Change. He's a rock-ribbed pro-life politician, and he put the Born Alive Survivors Act, which essentially stated that if a baby was born alive, after an abortion attempt, then you actually had to offer that child treatment, that the physician was ethically but also legally obligated to treat that child. Now, there's been a variety of responses um, to his law. First of all, and this is actually pretty crazy to me, is the Democrats oppose the bill. And the reason this is crazy to me is not because I'm surprised that they would oppose the bill. As I mentioned previously, Barack Obama had voted against uh, bills just like that when he was a legislator. The reason I was shocked was because I would have thought the Democrats would have been strategically smart enough to realize that they had staked out a position that was not in keeping with the rest of the American people and that voting to ensure a child gets treatment after it has already survived the abortion attempt um, seems like it doesn't even seem like a concession, right? It doesn't even seem to have anything to do with any of the fundamental arguments surrounding abortion. The baby has made it through the birth canal alive now. Uh, all you have to do is say, okay, yeah, now, now you can't kill it. Now you have to treat it, right? This, this does not seem to me like a concession for the Democrats. And so I thought initially that they would vote for this just so they could staunch the bleed. Um, so to speak, just so that they could distract attention uh, from Ralph Northam's comments, Kathy Tran's legislation, uh, Andrew Cuomo's grotesque celebration of late-term abortion, and say, look, look, we draw the line somewhere, too, and maybe that line is right at birth, but at least we have a line. But no, they, they refused to actually vote for this legislation, and they had a couple of reasons for it, all of which were, were incredibly stupid, and in one case, just a deliberate falsehood. They, they first said, look, these babies are already protected by law. There is existing legislation that already takes care of this. And so this is just a political stunt. Well, OK, uh, first of all, if legislation already protects these babies, then there was no good reason for them not to vote for it. Because even if the legislation is redundant, why take the risk of a political hit uh, by opposing this legislation and doing precisely what a lot of the pro-life Republicans wanted to expose them as doing, which is acting like abortion extremists once again? Uh, they could have just voted for it and they would have completely eliminated the argument that they were on board with at least post-utero infanticide, uh, and they would be voting for a law that protected infants that were protected already, so no harm, no foul, and they cover their political butt on this one. Um, but they didn't do so, which is weird. Um, it's really strange that they, 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 they decided not to if those babies were already protected. My suspicion is that they are so beholden, too, to the abortion industry and the millions of dollars that they get, planned get from Planned Parenthood, which is not only the country's but the world's biggest abortion provider, that they don't want to do anything to protect babies at any stage. Uh, the first time a Democrat starts caring about a baby is when that baby is be, has been apprehended in the arms of his mother at the border. Um, and as a side note, I think that the policy of family separation at the U.S. border is reprehensible and should change. But you, you only see Democrats begin to care about children once those children become handy political footballs for them in their war against Donald Trump. The second reason that they claim that they were going to vote against this Born Alive Survivors Act is they said, well, this doesn't happen, um, despite the fact that Ralph Northam actually admitted that such things do happen. They said, well, you know what? We're just straight up going to say this doesn't take place. There's no such thing as an abortion survivor. And so moving right along now. Um, and they know this is a lie because abortion survivors have actually testified in Congress. And their stories have been very, very public. Uh, I recently spoke to Melissa Oden on my other podcast, The Van Maren Show, which you can find either at lifesightnews.com or at thebridgehead.ca. Uh, she survived an abortion. Um, 
I recently wrote a story about a, a, an abortion survivor in Canada as well as abortion survivor Gianna Jessen. I once met the abortion survivor Claire Colwell. Um, I actually met Alyssa Odin when I was at a Stop the Killing rally in front of a Planned Parenthood clinic in Washington, D.C., where Live Action, which is an undercover uh, pro-life investigative operation, was rolling out evidence that babies were being killed after birth. In fact, there was evidence that uh, uh, late-term abortionist Leroy Carhart had actually strangled a baby after it was born alive. I was at that Stop the Killing rally, incidentally, on the way back uh, from attending the final day of Kermit Gosnell's trial, where he was essentially convicted of post-utero abortions, which is how he described them. Um, and he was convicted because he was guilty of over 100 fetal beheadings. He would deliver the baby, flip it over, stick scissors in the back of its neck, snip its spinal cord, and the baby would suffocate to death within a minute. We know these things are happening, uh, and the Democrats know that these things are happening, but they try to deny that they're happening. And it's kind of ridiculous because they're always attempting to claim that, for example, you know, if Republicans don't get on board with laws that enshrine gender identity into various legal documents, then they're somehow erasing transgender people. And they're genuinely erasing abortion survivors when they claim there's no such thing. Uh, they're genuinely claiming, um, well, they support the erasure of, what is it now, 60 million preborn children that have been killed in the United States since Roe v. Wade. So their bully pulpit is made up of fetal corpses, and yet they still have the gall to talk down to pro-life Republican legislatures. And they have the gall to claim the moral high ground even as they refuse to vote for the Born Alive Survivors Act. Now, this is sort of interesting because what we're also seeing is is the abortion de uh, debate which the, the the abortion issue has always been big in american politics unlike in most western nations where if you want to be a conservative candidate you generally avoid the abortion issue as much as possible we see that with the conservatives in canada we see that with the tories in great britain uh, we also see that with the liberal coalition in australia in the united states you can't win the Republican nomination for the president of the United States unless you're pro-life. Uh, and that's initially actually why myself and so many others were suspicious of Donald Trump. Because we thought, well, it seems pretty convenient that he had his you know, pro-life conversion on the road to Washington, D.C. Seems pretty convenient. Um, I, we, just, we didn't think he was pro-life, to be honest. We didn't think his pro-life conversion story was very convincing. And he usually sounded like a moron when he talked about abortion. And so we didn't believe his, his pro-life conversion story simply because we just thought it was a box he had to check in order to win the Republican nomination. And interestingly enough, even in, in Bob Woodward's book, uh, Fear, where he writes about one of Steve Bannon's initial meetings with Donald Trump, he reports that Steve Bannon straight up told Donald Trump, look, if you want to win the Republican nomination for the president of the United States, you've got to be pro-life. Um, you've, got, you've got to come out against abortion and come out against abortion hard. Well, with the Democratic overreach on abortion that leads right up to their actual refusal to vote for the Born Alive Survivors Act, we have Donald Trump recognizing that this issue, especially this issue of late-term abortion, is a huge issue for the American people. And say what you will about Donald Trump, and I've said much in my columns. Uh, most of you will know I've never been a particularly big fan of his. Uh, and even now, I'm, I'm consistently in shock at how pro-life his administration has been. I've written several columns now taking back the one prediction I was wrong on, which is that his administration would not be a champion for pro-life values, but it, it turns out that it actually has been. And now uh, Trump has sort of seized on this abortion issue as a real political winner. And he, as you all know, he does these massive rallies all the time. And in, at almost every one of these rallies, he basically requotes, in his own words, the comments of Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. And he basically says, look, you've got these people who are saying, you know, once the baby is born, you can put it on the table. The doctor can talk to the mother and decide whether or not to execute the baby. Now, that's not quite what Northam said, of course. And it's, it's kind of interesting to watch the political fact-checkers go nuts trying to point out that Trump is wrong uh, for saying the doctors were going to discuss whether to execute the baby, but they don't know what word to replace execute with um, because we all admit that abortion is, is killing a baby. Um, 
or at least most of us recognize that abortion is killing a baby, especially at that stage. And so just because the, the term execute might not be technically correct, that doesn't mean that what happens after that discussion takes place between the physician and the mother doesn't amount to that at the end of the day. So while Trump, of course, is using his uh, tendency to engage in hyperbole in order to stoke the crowd, um, what he's saying is sort of, as <laughs> as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez once said, just because I'm saying what I'm saying isn't literally true doesn't mean it's morally true. And I think that when Donald Trump uh, talks about this late-term late, late term abortion as an execution, what he's saying might not be literally true in the context of Ralph Northam's remarks, but it is morally true, if you know what I mean. And so Trump has been taking the abortion issue out on the campaign trail. And in response, every single Democratic presidential candidate has come out supporting abortion until birth. They have doubled down. Uh, they have not learned from Ralph Northam. They have not learned uh, from the backlash that Governor Andrew Cuomo faced. They have not learned from the polls on this issue. Instead, they are going all in. You know, the, the mayor, uh, Pete Buttigieg has come out saying he supports abortion until birth. Um, Beto O'Rourke, who's, I think, fading fast in the polls now, has come out supporting abortion until birth. The socialist Bernie Sanders has come out supporting abortion until birth, which is no surprise because socialists always believe a few people have to die for the greater good. So we were all expecting uh, Bernie to come out hot for abortion. Uh, Kamala Harris, who's the most reptilian one of the bunch, she's the one who abused her power as... Attorney General in California to persecute David Daleiden uh, of the Center for Medical Progress to stick up for her buddies in the abortion industry who had actually helped finance her campaign for district attorney. So she's the most dangerous one of the bunch, in my opinion. And even Joe Biden, uh, who used to be opposed to at least late-term abortion and still likes to pretend he's a Catholic every now and again, has come out basically saying, you know what, abortion till birth, I agree. And now they're trying to outdo each other to see who can be more pro-abortion than the next one. Uh, this week, Cory Booker came out. Uh, Cory Booker, you might remember, was Spartacus from the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, Cory Booker actually said he would create an entire office, a White House office for reproductive rights, that would basically just look around for ways to proactively ensure uh, abortion access and, and abortion's legality through all nine months of pregnancy. So the Democrats are outdoing themselves, and they're responding to Trump by saying, you know what, abortion all the way through all nine months. The Atlantic actually published an article talking about how abortion is a moral good. They published another article uh, discussing why most women reject adoption. Uh, another article got published recently by uh, late-term abortionist Warren Hearn actually claiming that pregnancy is more dangerous than abortion. And so what you have is the entire demonic forces of the left are all banding together and saying, this is the hill we die on. This is the hill we die on. And that hill might be made of fetal corpses, but this is where they're going to stake it all out. At the end of the day, abortion was always their greatest and most valuable pearl. And they're willing to trade every other pearl for this one. Um, there's nothing they won't sacrifice for abortion because once you've sacrificed 60 million lives for something, what is there that you won't sell your soul for? right? What is there that you won't give up? to maintain this right to kill their own offspring. And so we're shaping up towards 2020 uh, for an epic battle over the legality of abortion. Everybody knows that it's extremely likely that if Trump wins a second term, the Republicans are going to take the Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade is gone. Roe v. Wade might be dead already, but we don't know how Justice John Roberts, Chief Justice John Roberts would vote. We're not 100% sure how Brett Kavanaugh would vote. He's he's very much of the moderate, middle-of-the-road Republican field. I think one, uh, one analyst called him Karl Rove in a robe. So we don't know for sure how he's going to vote. And Neil Gorsuch has done nothing but vote uh, in an encouraging way. But we don't know for sure. Again, we, he's never been put to the test. On this issue. So we don't know for sure. Roe could be, it could be like Schrodinger's Supreme Court case, but we don't know if Roe's dead or alive yet because the court as it stands now, the Roberts court hasn't actually had to rule on Roe. But if Trump wins a second term, uh, then we're looking at uh, the, the very strong possibility that the court can finally be remade and then Roe would be done. 
And that, of course, would just sort of change everything for everyone. So you've got the Democrats on one side who are saying we are going to run on a platform of abortion throughout all nine months. You've got Trump, who's already campaigning on a platform that exposes the radicalism of the pro-abortion Democrats. And so that's led us to a point where the, the this issue is staked out in such extreme terms that the middle ground is, is essentially going to have to pick one side or the other. Most of you probably already heard of of the Brian Sims, the Pennsylvania legislature, a state representative, a Democrat, of course, who's a, a gay progressive abortion supporter, and he attracted uh, new attention to the extremism of the Democrats by screaming uh, at an elderly pro-life woman pl- uh, praying outside a Planned Parenthood clinic in Philadelphia, which is the city where Kermit Gosnell's abortion clinic was located, uh, and then actually videoed two teenage girls and offered 100 bucks to anybody who would dox them and find out who they were. And so his his just repulsive actions were responded to by a thousand pro-lifers rallying at that abortion clinic. Even that didn't get Sims to apologize because that's where we are. There's no middle ground anymore in this fight. There's pro-life and there's pro-abortion. And the, the, the battle lines have truly been drawn in a way that we have not seen in a very, very long time. So that sort of gives you the the uh, update. Uh, so that's that, that's just this year, by the way. That's just that's just 2019, and that takes us right up to to Alabama right now. Now, there's multiple theories on what's going on in Alabama, because the Alabama bill, um, which was passed 25 to six with only one abstention, it essentially establishes the legal personhood of preborn children and prohibits nearly all. Abortions, And so the governor of uh, Alabama, Kay Ivey, did sign the legislation, ironically, for the abortion activists who were uh, shrieking about a woman's right to choose. Kay Ivey is, as her name indicates, a woman. So it was a woman who signed this abortion bill. And just to give you an idea of what the Hollywood pro-abortion elites think of pro-life women, uh, Jim Carrey, the author, or author, pardon me, uh, the guy who acted in these horribly unfunny comedies and whose career has kind of been in tailspin for some time, uh, drew this wretched painting of a tiny fetus Kay Ivey being suctioned to death by an abortionist's aspirator. Um, so there, you've got everything in one shot there. You've got violence against women. You have the opinion of a Hollywood elite of a pro-life woman. Um, you have the violence uh, inherent to the abortion worldview. You have this idea that people you find inconvenient can be dispensed with in a violent way. It was all on display right there. And so this this bill has been really attracting a lot of attention, ironically, uh, because a Democratic state representative, John Rogers, made a gruesome remark that again went viral, explaining his opposition to the bill. So this was the first time the Alabama bill really attracted attention, because what he said in response to the bill, and it was shockingly honest, but listen to what he had to say. Some kids are unwanted, so you kill them now or you kill them later. You bring them into the world unwanted, unloved, and then send them to the electric chair. So it's actually a Democrat straight up admitting we can't have this law banning abortion because we just need to kill some kids before they grow up, do bad things, and then we have to kill them when they're older, which is just utterly perverse logic. That's what actually attracted attention to the Alabama bill in the first place. But it's also taking place you know, against this backdrop of this sort of abortion battle going on and largely between the blue states and the red states, because Ohio, Mississippi, Kentucky, Georgia, they've all passed heartbeat bills, which basically ban abortion after the fetal heartbeat can be detected uh, at around six weeks. And these bills have, have, have started to attract attention. I think it was the bill in Georgia that first got, got things rolling. But the Alabama bill seems to be the catalyst uh, for really drawing attention to all this. Now, what the Alabama bill has done uh, for the pro-abortion Democrats is they have seen this as an opportunity to try and change the channel. Um, for j- like January, February, March, April, they've just been taking hit after hit because the entire abortion discussion has been uh, revolving around the aspects of abortion that the American public are most uncomfortable with, but that the Democrats have boxed themselves into defending, right? Um, you know, a- 
Babies that are born alive and left to die are killed after attempted abortions, late-term abortion, you know, the gruesome details of what abortion does in the late term. Um, This was not a discussion that the Democrats wanted to be having. And the fact that, you know, the Born Alive Survivors Bill kept on coming up, it really irritated them because what they wanted to do was talk about choice. Because when left-wingers, when progressives, when Democrats talk about choice, they usually win. But when the discussion revolves around abortion and what abortion actually does, that's when pro-lifers start to win. And so they wanted to change the channel. And they saw the Alabama bill as basically an attempt um, or a way that they could switch the channel back because the Alabama bill did not, for example, make exceptions for rape and incest because basically the logic of the legislators was the logic of the pro-life movement, which is your value as a human being is not derived from the circumstances in which you were conceived. Uh, Your value as a human being is derived from your inherent humanity. You have human rights because you are a human being, not because of how you as a human being came into existence. But now, of course, what you have is the Democrats talking incessantly about issues of rape and incest, um, which, of course, are less than 1% of abortions. And the majority of sexual assault victims actually choose to carry their children to term. But nonetheless, you have rape victims essentially being used uh, as a political pawn by the Democrats. I wrote an article once called uh, Why Rapists Love Abortion, uh, because abortion actually has often been used as a tool by assaulters and abusers to continually victimize um, their prey, uh, their victims. But, of course, you're not going to hear that from the Democrats. I would remind our listeners, or or for those of you who don't know, uh, tell you for the first time, that it was actually a fake rape victim that was used by the abortion movement to get abortion legalized in the first place. Uh, Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade was actually Norma McCorvey, and Norma McCorvey uh, claimed to have gotten pregnant through sexual assault. And because she couldn't get uh, an abortion, she took that to court, or I should say uh, several pro-abortion lawyers recruited her uh, to be the face of their abortion case. Uh, As many of you will know, uh, Norma McCorvey later changed her mind, became pro-life, and spent the rest of her life uh, fighting the uh, court ruling that bore her name, and later admitted that she had not been sexually assaulted, but had been advised to make up that story because it would make her story appeal appear, pardon me, um, more sensitive. It would make her story appear obviously more sympathetic to the justices. And so the same thing is happening now. A tiny fraction of abortion cases are being used to turn the tables and claim that the Republicans are the ones that are unfeeling and uncompassionate because, of course, if you were a Democrat, you have to believe that the only compassionate solution to any Anything is dismembering a human child in the womb. And this has led to a bit of a debate inside the pro-life movement. You've got guys like uh, uh, Ramesh Panuru, who in Bloomberg said, you know, pro-lifers, slow down. Uh, The incremental strategy of slowly but surely chipping away at Roe v. Wade over the decades has worked, and it should continue to work. Uh, So his advice, essentially, is keep on hammering uh, the keep on hammering abortion uh, where the American public is already on side, which would be late-term abortion, as especially evidenced by the horror displayed uh, throughout the country uh, by Andrew Cuomo's actions in New York and, and Ralph Northam's comments in Virginia. But in the National Review, David French uh, had this to say, um, and I, I have to say that I think I'm, I'm on his side with this, because incrementalism has been going on for decades, and late-term abortion law are very essential, but obviously because there are not that many late-term abortions, you don't save as many children as you would with a much more sweeping ban. And so here's what David French had to say in the National Review. Are we the pro-life movement or the less death movement? It's time to decide. Is the aim of the political wing of the pro-life movement to nibble at the edges of the American abortion culture or to confront it head-on? Iowa has made its choice, so has Kentucky, and so has Mississippi. They are joining the growing ranks of American states who have unequivocally declared that Roe v. Wade is fundamentally incompatible with the Constitution and their community's values. Each of these states has passed a heartbeat bill that bans virtually all abortions 
after fetal heartbeat is detected. More states should join them. Incrementalism had its day, but if the political pro-life movement devolves into little more than the effort to pass various restrictions that merely moderate the abortion-on-demand regime, making it less messy and brutal, then debates about abortion are quite frankly too far too prominent in American politics. The battle is over degrees of support for the killing of a child in the womb, not over its ultimate legality. But if that's the case, then our judicial wars are overwrought and our political fights are exaggerated. It matters whether late-term abortion is legal, and certainly it matters whether abortion clinics are safer and cleaner and staffed with competent professionals. Matters for the mother, at least. But a pro-life movement, or more accurately, a less-death movement, can accomplish those goals without reversing Roe. Slight tweaks to the undue burden jurisprudence of Planned Parenthood v. Casey is all it will take to stop abortions after 20 weeks while leaving the right to kill the 98.7% of abortions intact. But if a movement is truly pro-life and a majority of the state's voters want to protect and foster, pardon me, a culture of life, then it's time. It's time to throw down the gauntlet, declare to the world and to the court that the era of incrementalism is over and show that the people are ready to embrace life. It's time for more GOP legislators to pass heartbeat bills, bring them to the Supreme Court, look at the justices in the eye and ask them to correct one of the court's most dreadful and consequential mistakes. Now, while I'm obviously on David French's side, I don't exactly know um, who's going to win this war of sound and fury at the moment. The Democrats, who are entirely and universally supported by the media, are attempting to pretend, well, they're, they're telling the most horrific lies about the legislation. So, for example, they actually claimed um, that these bills want to send women to jail when these bills contain explicit language ensuring that women could not be prosecuted for a miscarriage or be sent to jail for an abortion. So these are just lies, straight-up lies being told. Uh, And you actually have the press listening to people like Dr. Jen Gunter, who is an abortion activist and a shameful disgrace of a medical professional, who's been asking the media to stop calling these pieces of legislation heartbeat bills and start calling them, and I kid you not, fetal pole cardiac activity bills. Heartbeat Bill, of course, the reason she hates that name is because it tells millions of Americans something that most of them have never thought about, which is the fact that the baby that's being killed in an abortion, and in well over 95% of all abortions, has a heartbeat. And so a heartbeat bill protecting them once that heartbeat ha- has begun is a educational bill as well as a piece of legislation because it, it allows people to understand this, especially in the debates that rage in the media. And so, of course, she wants them to change the names so that nobody will know that we're talking about a baby with a heartbeat. That's why they call a baby in the womb a fetus, even though fetus is just Latin for young ones. They're calling it a baby in a different language. They need this dehumanizing language in order to defend the idea that abortion is a humane response to a crisis pregnancy. Like fetal pole cardiac activity. What a joke. What a joke. And so taking a look at how this debate is unfolding, um, it does look like Trump agrees with Ramesh, uh, Ramesh Panuru in Bloomberg, who, who urged caution, uh, because Trump actually went over to Twitter and stated this, and I quote, As most people know, and for those who would like to know, I am strongly pro-life with three exceptions, rape, incest, and protecting the life of the mother, the same position taken by Ronald Reagan. We have come very far in the last two years with 105 wonderful new federal judges and many more to come, two great new Supreme Court justices, the Mexico City policy and a whole and new positive attitude around the right to life. The radical left with late-term abortion and worse is imploding on this issue. We must stick together and win for life in 2020. If we are foolish and do not stay united as one, all our hard-fought gains for life can and will rapidly disappear. Uh, Republican House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy publicly badmouthed the Alabama law, essentially along the same lines as Trump, saying, look, um, exceptions for rape and incest should be put in there, although Trump's exceptions appear to be strategic, whereas McCarthy genuinely seemed to be sort of wilting in the face of the uh, inevitable media criticism on the issue. So that's the debate happening in the pro-life movement right now. 
You have the year starting off with a wave of bad press for the Democrats on the late-term abortion issue and the infanticide issue. Uh, You have a response uh, to this from the Republicans who passed a wave of legislation across the United States. Uh, Six heartbeat bills, more to come this year, I believe. Over 90 pieces of legislation proposed since January of 2019, and Trump relentlessly hammering them on the late-term abortion issue. And then with the Alabama uh, piece of legislation with the Alabama law, which, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, has has really attracted global attention. Um, we have the battle lines being drawn, and you have a rift inside the pro-life movement uh, where essentially there's a strategic difference between those who think, look, we've been incremental long enough. It's time to go for the gold. Let's try knock down Roe v. Wade. Let's actually try to ban abortion. And then you've got those who are saying, look, incrementalism has been working for years. We've been slowly hollowing out Roe v. Wade. You know, don't rush into this. Don't spoil the moment. And Donald Trump appears to be of that line of thinking. So, there's a, a good reason that, that uh, American abortion activists have been panicking. More than 250 bills restricting abortion have been filed in 41 states since the beginning of this year alone. And more than 400 pro-life laws have passed in state legislatures since 2011. The avalanche of, of legislation seems to have increased. And of course, with courts getting increasingly friendly and more and more uh, states just explicitly stating, look, we know this law probably won't be implemented, but we're, we're, we're gunning for rope which is what the Alabama governor said. Uh, the debate around the rape and incest exception in the legislation is somewhat theoretical because the whole thing is designed to take down Roe v. Wade rather than explicitly be implemented, although, of course, if Roe v. Wade did fall, then it would, in fact, be implemented. But abortion activists are panicking. A lot of abortion activists think that Roe v. Wade will fall, including abortion activist Robin Marty, who actually wrote a handbook on how to get an abortion if abortion falls. Uh, According to her, at least 15 states will automatically ban abortion if or when Roe v. Wade falls. And that's because a lot of states have so-called trigger bans, which means that if Roe falls, boom, abortion is illegal, as well as other states that have indicated a desire uh, to ban abortion if Roe v. Wade falls. So the the big discussion you've been seeing going on about the Alabama abortion law is actually as actually just a, a catalyst inside a catalytic year uh, in the American abortion wars. Um, it's just been exceptional. The year started off with the Democrats um, basically throwing down hard for late-term abortion and even infanticide. The Republicans responded by raking them over the coals for this. American public opinion began to shift their way. The Republicans started passing bills right across the country, restricting abortion essentially as far as they dared. They're hoping to knock down Roe v. Wade. In a response to that, every Democratic presidential candidate has come out saying, we support abortion until birth. Donald Trump has been describing abortion in increasingly graphic terms on the stump to expose the Democrats for this position, which he knows is unpopular, which basically means that against all the odds and to the shock of many, many people, abortion is looking like it will probably be one of the key issues in the 2020 election. And so that's what the Alabama abortion law means. The abortion debate is not slowing down. This Alabama law is not the last piece of legislation to pass this year, and probably not even the last piece of legislation to pass or get signed this month. Um, We're just starting to heat up, and I believe the 2020 election will be an American election fought almost entirely over the right to abortion, at least if the Democrats have their way. Trump, of course, is unpopular for many, many reasons. But I think the American public are with him uh, when it comes to the abortion issue. And so we'll have to see how this plays out further. I'll be giving you an update as developments come in on this podcast. So thank you for tuning in to The Culture Wars. Uh, You can go over to SoundCloud or iTunes to find our previous episodes of The Culture Wars or head over to thebridgehead.ca where you can find my daily commentary as well as episodes of my interview show on LifeSite News, The Van Maren Show. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you join me again next week.